We are in the book of Mark, as usual, Mark chapter 10, um, and uh, we are going to skip a little bit, actually. I was going to, um, Mark chapter 10 and verse 1, let me just read the little section first, and then we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll probably um, leave that first bit out. Last week, Keith Gaiman spoke on the whole um, issue of marriage and singleness, and, and um and covered very much um, a lot of the, the points of this, but let me just let me just read. First of all, I'm in Book of Luke at the moment. Oh, wrong, wrong book. Hold on. Should have organised myself before I stood up here. Here we go. Okay, Mark chapter ten, and it says Jesus then left the place and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan again. Crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What does Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permits a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote, those, wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what man has joined together, let no man separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and blessed them. I can remember the first time I took my daughter into the back garden to fly a kite. Now, she was about three or four years old at the time, and, and the kite was one of those really cheap things, you know, the ones you get free with magazines. So we, we assembled this kite together, and I assured her that this kite would definitely fly. Deep down, I just hope it does. So we, we put this thing together, we go back in, out into the garden, and after two or three goes, she unravels a string, and eventually it catches in the wind, it soars into the air. It is magnificent, glorious. And I'm really relieved. <laughs> but at four years old, my daughter never doubted that kite was going to fly. Why? Because her dad had told her it would. 
simple faith, simple faith has got profound implications over our lives. Last week, as I've said, Keith spoke on the subject of of marriage and singleness, so I'm going to literally pretty much skim over and pretty much ignore those first 12 verses, because I want to spend my time on on these last few verses. But the thing about following Jesus, it's extremely practical, isn't it? Extremely practical because it involves every area of our lives. It involves our marriages. It involves how we bring up our children. It involves finances. It it involves every single aspect of life. And true disciple is is, not really about making loads of vows or locking ourselves away in monasteries for years. It is about the day-to-day practical things of life where the rubber hits the road. So last week is, as Keith, and by the way, if you haven't heard what Keith shared last week, it's probably worth getting it on the, I think, it's, is it on podcast? It will be on this week. Excellent. <laughs> Do you have a listen to it? Um, it it'll fill in, fill in some, of the, some of the gaps there. Um, but he, but he covered very much that this practical teaching that Jesus talks about in this first um, little section of Mark chapter 10. The truth of the matter is that the Pharisees, they're not so much interested in what Jesus has to say. They simply want to trip him up. They think if he can make some sort of contentious statement over the whole issue of divorce, well, then he will split the crowd and turn most of them, or at least many of them, against them. So if he agrees, and if, if he um, encourages divorce like the rabbis do, well, then the, hard, then the hardliners are going to hate him. However, if he takes a very tough line on this whole issue of divorce, then he will alienate those who are struggling in their relationships. And Jesus, in only the way that Jesus can, he amazingly gets right to the root of the question, to the heart of the issue, and he points out that these Pharisees don't actually know or understand the Old Testament text that they're talking about anyway. And as we heard last week, God's plan is, from the very beginning of time, is that marriage is for a lifelong commitment between husbands and wives. And husbands, we need to serve our wives. And wives, you serve your husbands and love them and care for them. And sex... It's not a one-night stand. It is between soulmates reserved for marriage. Something that is a gift given to us by God and needs to be held right up there. Something that we honor and respect. So God calls us to fight for marriages But also we see the heart of God, a God who is concerned, a God who is compassionate towards everyone who is struggling, everyone in difficult and particularly in abusive marriages. And the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, allowed for this reality of life. So in some situations, divorce is necessary, but it's not God's perfect plan. Because divorce does not come without pain, 
and tears and much heartbreak. And Jesus' words here can seem quite hard. They're easy to understand. They're probably just hard for us sometimes to accept. And the disciples very disciples clearly didn't really understand this at all because they asked Jesus to explain it to them again. They don't get it. They don't understand what's going on here. And what Jesus wants to do, he wants to point out to men and to women that we need to look back at our maker's instructions. This is what Keith covered last week, so do have a listen back to it. But ultimately, we need, if our marriages are going to work well, if we're going to do well, we need to look at what the maker's instructions are. And that means knowing our Father in heaven. Simple faith. Simple faith placed in the right person has got profound implications on our lives and on our marriages. I'm going to leave it there in that little section. The disciples, having listened to the unbiblical teaching of the Pharisees, we discover very quickly, actually, that, that they're, they're, the arteries of their spiritual hearts are just as narrow as that of the Pharisees. They ain't a lot better. You see, what they... What I think they're thinking is they see themselves as the ministers of state in the kingdom of God. Now, to some extent, what they're probably almost right about their status, but they are so, so wrong about what their job actually entails, and in particular, what kind of kingdom Jesus has come to rule over. And they thought that King Jesus was only interested in the most important adults, only interested in the mighty states of the state, of God's kingdom. And these rather irrelevant, perhaps um, sentimental parents who are bringing their, their little bundles of joy to Jesus for a blessing, well actually, Jesus can do out those sort of folks around. He hasn't time for that sort of stuff. Culturally, children of that day were not to be seen and not to be heard. It's just the way it was. However, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, parents were allowed to bring their children to a rabbi or to an elder, and then they would receive a blessing. But on this occasion, the disciples, they were having none of it. They just could not see any reason for these children to be anywhere near Jesus. Now, they they weren't being hard. They were just culturally conditioned to shooing children out of the way. Jesus, he had much more important matters to deal with. He had the grown-ups to deal with. And these kids, well, they're going to have to wait their turn until they were old enough. Just got to hold back, guys. Truth of the matter is, if you or I were around in that day, in that culture, we would have done exactly the same thing. We would. So although their motives may have made some sense, 
After all, Jesus is continually just swamped by people just all of the time. He hasn't got a moment sometimes even to think. Jesus sees that there is a bigger problem here that needs to be corrected. And it's not simply about children. Jesus sees there's a bigger problem here that needs to be corrected. You see, even the most irrelevant of people are important in God's kingdom. You get that? Even the most irrelevant of people are important in God's kingdom. And yes, that includes the children, but also it includes others who are marginalized within society. The old, the sick, the poor, the disabled, the criminals, the addicts, the traitors, the prostitutes, the foreigners. The list could go on. Those who don't feel they are good enough. Or society doesn't feel they are good enough. They are all welcome in Jesus' kingdom. He turns no one away. That is why the disciples' dismissal of these children is so important to Jesus. These children just representing those who have got no standing in society. And by the way, these children are pretty young. Jesus is able to take them in his arms. They have got no rights. They have got no reason to be there. In fact, nobody would think any worse of Jesus if he had just said to them, you know what, I haven't time for you. He doesn't have to give them the time of day. And what he does for these children is a gift of love. What he does for these children is simply a gift of love. And that is why Jesus' words here, the kingdom of God belongs to the little children and we must be like them creates such a profound challenge to those who think that their wealth or their qualifications or perhaps their their education or accomplishments can somehow buy them some favor with God. It can't. It simply can't. Instead, Whatever your background, whether you are the wealthiest person in this room or whether you've walked in here with your life in a bag, you are important to Jesus. You're welcome here and you are important to Jesus. And we all come in exactly the same way by putting our trust in Jesus Christ. And we see ourselves as helpless recipients of His blessing. Simple faith. Simple faith placed in the right person has profound implications.
But there's another way of, of looking at this little story. Ravi Zachariah talking about children and about how they react differently. And he says, if you were to tell children the same story, children of different ages will respond in different ways to that story. So you can imagine we've got a group of, I don't know, 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds, and 5-year-olds, and we tell them the story of Johnny. Now, Johnny... He was just woken in the middle of the night, didn't quite sure why, so he sneaked out of his bedroom, he sneaked down the stairs, and he got into the living room, or, and he, sorry, he, he saw a little crack in the door in the living room, and as he opened the door, it creaked, eek, something like that. And then he heard a roar, and as he stepped into the living room, he saw a dragon. For the 10-year-old, the mention of that dragon will cause their eyes to open wide. For the 8-year-old, the roar was all that was needed. But for the 5-year-olds, simply the creak of the door is enough for them to open their eyes wide in astonishment and amazement. See, the reality is our sense of awe and wonder diminishes as we move from childhood into adulthood. And children, they enjoy so much and can explain so little. And we as adults, we can think we can explain everything and we lose something of the wonder and the joy in the process. And there is a wonder, a joy, just a delight in God that we see in children just through simple faith that sometimes as adults we just simply try to explain away. And we need to fight to retain this joy, this wonder in God because that, my friends, is worship. And you will worship what you enjoy. But how often do we replace our joy in the Lord with the mechanics of worship? Now, don't get me wrong. It is so important that we spend time in God's Word. It's so important that we we study it and learn from it. But listen, we need also to have delight and joy in God. It's not one or the other. We need both of those things in our lives. And as we look at the salvation of God, of the doctrine of who, of, of, of who um, God is, of the doctrine of salvation, as we look at Jesus Christ, it should birth within us just a passion and a joy for him. And if our studies of God's word does not just provoke something of a joy in Christ, we are missing something as we are reading this book. We really are. Just one third aspect, I think, to this story. That Jesus wants us to understand that the kingdom of God is a gift, not a right. 
The kingdom of God is a gift. It's not a right. And it's given by grace, not earned. And so often we can get so concerned and so worked up over making sure theologically we are correct or making sure we've got the, 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 the um, repentance and believing and all that sort of stuff in the right order and we can get all wound up and we end up making exactly the same mistakes that the Pharisees were making and that the disciples were making as well. We think we could just try a little bit harder. If we could just do things a bit better, then, then we'd be better people, better Christians. Listen, you can never obligate God with your obedience. You cannot give anything to God that he has not given to you in the first place. And God gives to us according to his grace, not according to what you've done. Do you know that? He gives according to grace, not according to what you have done. And he will bless. His blessing over you is always out of proportion to anything that you could ever deserve. Remember when I was doing my third year at university in Cardiff, studied optometry. About a few months before my final exam, one of my students, one of my um, classmates came to me and, and he said to me, Keith, I couldn't borrow a few of your notes, could I? This guy was a mature student. He's actually uh, um, from, from Jordan, and he'd, he'd come over with his family and his, 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 um, his kids. And he used to have to work in the supermarket stacking shelves every night just to put food on the table. He worked really hard. It meant when he did turn up to lectures, which wasn't very often, he pretty much slept through most of them. Um, so I said to him, well, you know, how... What are you missing? What do you need? He says, you wouldn't mind if I could have them all. So he took three years' worth of my notes. Over the next week or two, he photocopied them all off and then learnt them. We set our exams, we got the results, came, came back through, and uh, I got a second-class honours degree. Probably could have worked a bit harder, to be fair, but, you know, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it, it was okay, it was okay. I went to see how my friend had gotten on, and you'll never guess what. He did just a little bit better than me. Second-class honours degree still, got a slightly higher percentage. It didn't seem fair. really didn't. I'd done all the lectures, I'd, 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 I'd been there, I'd, I'd written all the notes out, that was all my work. I, I didn't want him to fail, but he didn't deserve to beat me. He could have got just a little bit less than me. Then I'd be much happier. Sometimes we think that way concerning God. And we look around at other people and we see how God is blessing them, and we think, if only God would bless me in that way, I can't believe he's blessing them. Look at, I, I'm so much better than they are. I, how can I? And we look, I mean, some of our musicians at Phil on the keyboard, or, or, or some of the guys on the drums, and we think, if, if only I could play the drums, then that's the gift I want. Then I'd be happy. Listen, rather than looking around at other people, look at what Jesus has done in your life.
Look at what he has saved you from. Look at where he's brought you so far. Look at where he's taken you and be thankful for all that he has done in your life. One of my favorite verses, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Is that not something to be thankful for? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, not in ourselves, not even in one another. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of our God. And God will dispense his blessings as he chooses. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. And if you or I end up at the very least in the kingdom of God, that is a million times better than anything that we could ever deserve. And we must never lose sight of our unworthiness before God. Because if we do, we could risk fulfilling our ministry or exercising our gifts with an attitude of sort of presumptuous pride as if God is somehow fortunate to have us on his team. Instead, we need to remember that without Jesus, we are guilty sinners deserving only judgment. But God in his love and his mercy has looked down from heaven to a people who do not deserve. And by grace, he has given us his unmerited favor. Simple faith. Simple faith placed in the Lord Jesus Christ has profound implications on your life. When we fully get this, when we fully understand God's grace, like a, like a little child, there are two responses. There may be more, but there are two responses. Firstly, it transforms lives. It just changes lives completely. You see, no matter how bad you think you might be or how good you think you might be, you need to ask Jesus into your life. We come in exactly the same way. Truth is, we deserve nothing from God, but sometimes God allows us to be brought low, even to break us before our spiritual eyes are opened to see the reality of our sin and then to see the gulf that lies between us and a holy God and then in Christ through the cross to see the bridge that has been built, the bridge of his grace that grants us access back to the Father. And by faith, you're forgiven 
The Bible tells us that our sins are taken from us because of Jesus and they are thrown into the very deepest of oceans never to be held against us again. And you come by grace through faith and you can know that you are loved by God, accepted and forgiven, justified, But there's a second thing. Understanding God's grace changes the way that we live as Christians. See, becoming more Christ-like is all about God's grace. It's nothing to do with anything that you have ever done. This is remarkable. It's got nothing to do with anything. See, all those Christian disciplines, all those lists of do's and don'ts, all those things that you think, if I could just do better in this little area... It's not about you. It's all about him. It's all what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you truly understand God's grace, there is a good chance that you may actually misunderstand and actually ask the question that Paul asks in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Does that mean I can carry on sinning? I can do whatever I want. Why? So that grace may abound. Jerry Bridges says in his book, Transforming Grace, if you've never come to that question, if you've never asked it, you probably have never understood God's transforming grace in your life. And grace, it breaks legalism. It removes those little lists of scorekeeping of do's and don'ts. It truly is all about Jesus and nothing, nothing to do with yourself. So is this this an excuse to carry on sinning? Of course not. If you have truly experienced Jesus if you've understood what he's done for you when he died for you on the cross, if you've understood what it cost him to go there, you won't be saying, I just want to do whatever I want. You'll be saying, Jesus, I love you. I love you with all of my heart, and I want to serve you, and I want to obey you, not not because I have to, but because I want to. That's massive. Because I want to. And our... Our acts of service become an act of thanksgiving. And our prayer life just gets revitalized. And our joy of God's word just increases. And as the Holy Spirit moves and the freedom comes through that, we experience joy unspeakable. Guys, this is life-changing. It's life-changing. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit given to each one of us. And some of you may have come in here perhaps broken and damaged and God would just simply say to you, I am in the business of putting people back together again. I do it really well. 
perhaps others, you've been Christians for, for many, many years, and you just lost something of that joy of what it is to just to, to worship and to, to live with, with Jesus. And you, you, you've, become just, you've become almost caught up with thinking, if I could just do this better and do that better, if I, could, if I could just tick off a few more things in my life, if I could just beat that sin once and for all, well, then I'd be okay. Guys, you don't have to. Jesus Christ has paid the price already. It's done. It's been dealt with. It was paid for on the cross. You simply need to come to him by faith. Accept him as your Lord, as your Savior. Guys, come with simple faith. Just like a little child comes to their father. And as you do, you will begin to see the profound implication as God's grace is worked out in your life. Let's stand together.